Nikki Gannon, and this is Mad About Miniatures. This week, I'm truly honored to have Kay Savage Browning on the show. Kay has spent four decades collecting the renowned KSB Miniatures Collection, which is on display at the Kentucky Gateway Museum Center in Maysville, Kentucky. Her passion for fine arts miniatures has taken her all over the world. She has worked with the most talented artisans in the miniature community. It is my great pleasure to introduce Kay Savage Browning. Hi, Kay. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. Ever since I went to the KSB collection at the Kentucky Gateway Museum in March, my husband took me for a surprise birthday weekend, I have wanted to talk to you. It was just such an enjoyable experience and, and really something I'll always remember. Well, I am so glad. It's a very special gallery, and the whole idea of putting it together the way it is is that it would be very warm and very welcoming. We've tried to use very soft colors, and we based it on a Palladian design so that there's sort of a surprise around every corner. Oh, you know, there really is. Although I almost didn't get to see them because when I came in and I saw the Spencer house, I just stopped in my tracks and I stared at it for so long that my husband finally said, there really is a lot of other incredible things here too. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the Spencer house, why you decided to have that commissioned, just whatever you want to tell us about it. Spencer house started out I don't know if you remember Dan McNeil of the Library Company. The background story is that he built two other houses for me. And the second house that he built on my visits, I noticed this huge building over in the corner. Oh. A woman had dropped it off. And lo and behold, he never heard from her again. It had been sitting there for 10 years. And so he contacted me and he sent me a book on Spencer House And he said it has been just newly renovated and they brought it back to the 1756 glory. So he said, I know how much you love Princess Diana. Would you like to do the Spencer house? And I said, by all means. He sent me a design. It was okay, but it it didn't really hit me. And then I got word from his brother that he had passed away of a heart attack. He had mentioned to me that he thought it was built by Mulvaney and Rogers. And so I immediately contacted them and I said, I have this big structure. How big is the Spencer house? It's seven feet wide and five feet deep and five feet tall. Seven by five by five. Turn that corner and see it. It's big and beautiful. It is. And so when I contacted them, I sent them a photograph of it. And she said, this is not our work. But she said, we really do want to do this house for you. We have gone all around uh, Europe and we've done Fontainebleau and we've done Hampton Court and Buckingham Palace. Really special, wonderful historical buildings. And she said, We really would like to do this. But she said, The house is not going to lend itself to our work because the rooms are the way they are. And we're going to have to start out from scratch. What they did was they took all of the architectural elements from the structure and incorporated them into their new structure so that they blended the two, which was really it was good because. I didn't want to lose the staircase. And I also had to be very, very careful about copyright issues. It was exactly like Spencer House, except for the very front that faces Green Park. I see. So it's got the Palladian staircase, which the original does not have. 
we started working with it and oh, the plans were just absolutely beautiful. And when it was finished, honestly, you cannot tell if you're looking at a photograph of the real Spencer house and the miniature, you cannot tell the difference. It is just so amazing. It really is. And what I didn't realize is not only is it Lady Di's childhood home, but in its own right, this house is a really fine architectural example of these English mansions. I mean, it is renowned for being a beautifully built house. Yes. As I mentioned before, the Palladian architecture is, for me, is very, very special. And Bill Robertson was the one who, when we designed the gallery at the museum, he said, I want to do it in Palladian style. And I didn't really understand it until I started researching that they have curves, they have pointed windows, they have very definite staircase in the front. They have a main rotunda and there are archways that go off of the rotunda in four different directions. And the way he designed this, and he had the vision for it, I I didn't. But he said he could see it when I was talking about what I wanted. He immediately started thinking Palladian. And he said, I know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to base it on Sir John Soane's home in London. This is the gallery you're talking about. This is the gallery. When Mulvaney and Rogers made the the miniature Spencer house, they incorporated that Palladian staircase and, of course, the the alternating round and pointed top windows. And I know that there's a name for it, but (laughs) I'm, I'm not up on it. It's just really special. Everything about Spencer House is authentic. It has carved and painted ceilings, all hand-painted, and they used 180 sheets of gold gilt to enhance all of the different architectural details. I can believe that because the painted room, which is like kind of an aqua, my favorite color, and just the beautiful room. I mean, just all the different gilded moldings. They carved those or made those by hand, correct? What they did, they carved the original one by hand, and then they made molds of it. Oh, that's smart. How long did it take them to build it? I commissioned it in January of 2001, and I got it in November of 2004. Wow. I would venture to say that they worked pretty much on that project solidly. I know they did some other little things in between, but they worked solidly on that. Just the portrait gallery of all the Spencers come before. I mean, she painted all those by hand, right? Actually, Mulvaney and Rogers just did the structure and the inside of the structure. And they commissioned, we commissioned and they commissioned pieces that we wanted to go in it that would be as close to the real pieces that are there. Those were done by Leslie Smith and Dmitry Pavlinsky. Dimitri is a Russian who lives in England. And of course, uh, Leslie is, he is the National Trust artist who does large paintings as well as the miniature ones. Well, I would imagine some of those miniature paintings took as long as a large painting to do. They do. It's really interesting how they are so true to the real size. And as I was going through the real Spencer house, I noticed the paintings were just, I mean, they were just so absolutely beautiful. I've been to Spencer House enough now that when I go inside and they've made a change, I go, you need to put that statue back where it was in the other room. It looks better. (laughs) Are you ever tempted to change your Spencer House? No. No, yours is perfect. They need to change it back. It's so funny because when I put all of these, I take these magnificent pieces of miniatures, people who have loved what they make and I love what they make. And so when I find a spot for it, 
I don't finish with a house until it is absolutely the, the way I feel in my heart it should be. And when it's done, it's done. I don't add anything else to it. You see the vision, you fulfill the vision, and then you go on to another one. I like that. Absolutely. You know, the other thing that struck me is obviously you have some beautiful building from Europe, but you also have beautiful miniatures of your hometown, of where the museum is located. I do. Those are important to you from growing up there? I lived downtown on 3rd Street, which was the absolute center of the whole town. And so I call the town my playground because I explored every inch of it, all the buildings and all the nooks and crannies. And and so had such a, a great, wonderful childhood. And these three buildings that I commissioned from Ashby and Jed all were the center of my life. The Cox Building, which is, that's the main building in town. And it was just, you know, my friend lived in one of the apartments and there was a tailor up there and he used to sit in the middle window, straddling the window with, you know, all the windows were open back in those days. And and he would sew on his men's jackets and things. It was just, it was so fun because our downtown was so active. And so all of these memories are put into the Cox Building, the soda fountain. My father was a doctor and And he sent most of his patients to the pharmacy to pick up their prescriptions. From the time I can remember walking, I was in the drugstore every day. I think I was the only one who was allowed to sit on the floor and read the comic books. (laughs) (laughs) They shoot everybody else out. All of that is, is captured in the drugstore. Now, tragically, a fire burned that building down. They were actually within weeks of reopening the building. Oh. But there's sort of a happy ending that the Miniature Museum had a part in, right? We got a call from the architects and they were able to put everything back but the roof because they had no plans for the roof. And so they were just going to put a flat tar surface on it. They heard about the miniature of the Cox building. And so they called and said, may we come over and measure? And because of the miniature, they were able to put it back exactly like it was. It was phenomenal. That is such a great story and such a tribute to the exactness and quality of the miniature, too. That is Ashby and Jed. She actually has historical background, and they both did set designs for theater. And so this is right up their alley. They just jumped at the chance to do the Cox Building and the Russell Theater and the the Bethel Baptist Church. That's great. And it's such a nice end that they were, that the miniature was actually able to help rebuild it. It truly was a blessing. Now, I hear you have a sweater from the Coraline movie in the museum. Is that true? Athea Chrome makes sweaters in 112 scale. Actually, she makes them in 144 scale too. She knits them on surgical wire. And I have probably, I have a dozen just regular sweaters of different styles. And then I have these four, what she calls the art series. And it's a a Greek urn. It's um, the uh, Andy Warhol, Marilyn Monroe with, you know, the, the four different pictures of her. And then there's a Picasso, the woman in the yellow hat is knitted into the back of it. She used over 70 colors. That's crazy. 70 colors in this little tiny sweater. She wanted to borrow those sweaters, those the art series. She wanted to borrow them for the Museum of Art and Design in New York City. And so 
So I just was so torn about letting them go out of my sight. It's like letting your children leave, right? I would worry about them the whole time they were gone. So to make it a little easier for me, she offered for a temporary exhibit to lend me the Coraline sweater that she actually made 14 sweaters for the movie Coraline for all the different scenes. That's amazing. I know. It's absolutely fantastic. So she said, I will let you exhibit the Coraline sweater and the little, the doll that goes with it and everything in that case while these sweaters are gone. So I agreed to do it. That was a fun exhibit too, especially for the little kids. Oh, I bet. I bet it was. Well, you have a whole children's section, correct? Yes, I do. And I would like to point out that the children's section was my husband's favorite. Oh, was it really? I think it was the Hobbit house and the the toy shop. The nursery rhymes, those were done by Jane Davies. And she asked me what my favorite nursery rhymes were from childhood. And of course, she was able to make all of them. Oh, that's wonderful. And the fun part about that was that my daughter, Carrie Seven, who is a co-finisher and an artist, she did all the painting for the gallery. And that worked perfectly. But speaking of your daughter, she gave you a special gift, right? She commissioned a doll that looks like you that's in the museum. She did. She collaborated with Daniela Kefauver, who is a a doll maker, but she also makes other wonderful things, uh, beautiful leather stitched Elizabethan gloves. And she's really quite an artist. She and Carrie collaborated and Carrie gave her a photograph of me when I was eight years old and I was in a fashion show. I was dressed in my, you know, my little black pattern and leather shoes and my white gloves. And I had on a Chesterfield coat. It was pale pink with a black velvet collar and then a hat to match it. And oh, I mean, it was fun. And so she presented me with that doll and I could not believe it when she did it at the International Guild of Miniature Artisans Guild Show. And she had it set up in an exhibit and I walked in the room and I saw it and I went, oh my God, that's me. It was such a wonderful tribute to me. I I was so grateful to her. And you have a lot of family memories, family history, even the family dog in the museum, right? Yes, I do. In fact, I've got several dogs. The Russell Theater, when I was growing up, I lived right across the street. And of course, the Cox Building was just two doors down. And so the Russell Theater was my babysitter. We would go and spend the whole afternoon at the movies. It brings me back to you talk about my dogs. When I was the age, you know, of being able to go to the theater by myself or with my girlfriend before I was a teenager, and we had a puppy dog named Pam. Pam is in the South Bend Victorian house, and she's in the kitchen on a newspaper as a puppy. I put her in there because we could never, ever get Pam house trained. Oh, no. It was hilarious. So, you know, I always add these little touches to the houses to remind me of fun times and the not so fun times, you know, cleaning up after. But we also have the Fleece Inn Pub by Pam Troop. I had Carrie Pagliuti. I commissioned our yellow Labrador gentry. And that was when my husband, Lewis became a bird shooter in England. So since Gentry was a bird dog, I have him in the kitchen of the pub with the pheasant in his mouth and he's, he's presenting it back to Lou. He's got it in his mouth. He's showing Lou here, you know, I've got this for you. I remember that. That's fabulous. And you actually spent time in the real inn, right? That that's based on? 
Yes, we did. The Fleece Inn Pub was uh, Pam Troop House, and Lou and I went over for our 27th wedding anniversary and spent the night in the upper right-hand room. And I want to tell you that was quite an experience. Since it was built in the 1400s, the floors were extremely slanted. And so we're in a queen-size bed, but somehow we can't seem to get away from each other. (laughs) You know, we kept rolling. We kept rolling. It was a real experience. Could you just tell our um, listeners a little bit about Pam Trube and who she is and your work with her? Obviously, she's a famous miniaturist. Pam absolutely was a perfectionist when it came to building her buildings. And her business was called Historic Homes in Miniature. And it was a very apropos title because she would go to the structure, to the historic building that she wanted to build or replicate, and she would measure every square inch of it. She had the ability to transform, even though it was a miniature house and it it didn't have a, a third wall, she still was able to pull in all of those little details in that room to make it look like it was a complete full room with furniture on all four walls. I mean, that's you got the impression that that was the way it was. I mean, her work really is incredible. And the aging she does, too. It's super. And Pam, we go way, way back. It was one of those things. She said, I want you to have one of my pieces in the museum. And so she said, I have this one last piece that's not sold. And so she sold that to me. And it, it just really special because I don't know if you noticed the sign when you saw it, but it ha- it's Mitchell's Ales. And my mother's maiden, maiden name was Mitchell. There are so many things around the museum that was like these things were meant to be. They were meant to be in my collection. I think all of us who make dollhouses, we try to put things that are personal, that are meaningful, that speak to us. And I feel like your entire museum is like that. It truly is. That's really neat. And you've also made an an effort to preserve some of your family's history. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Savage Manor? Yes. Well, I'm going to start off first with the Priory because that's where it all began over at the Singing Tree in London. And I walked into the shop and this priory was sitting on the top shelf. And I said, the whole premise of my collecting is to not just do a dollhouse, but to do something different. And the structure was just beautifully made. And Cotty said, well, you know, if you'll take that, she said, this is a very special house because it's the Rothschild estate in Cheltenham, England. And it was commissioned by them. But when they went to pick it up, they said it was too small and it would not accommodate their furniture. And I said, I'll take it because I wanted to honor my Methodist grandfather. So what I did was in this tribute to him, I was able to create, recreate his office. I was able to recreate the sitting room, the kitchen, and everything that that reminded me of him. He had had an old roll-top desk, and, and so I put that in there. But my cousin was with me in the museum one day, and she said, I know you, that you did this in honor of our grandfather, but she said, do you realize that there is a deeper connection than that? And I said, no, I, tell me what you know. And she said, your ancestor, our ancestor was Thomas Savage, Archbishop of York under Henry VII. And she said, of course, that was when it was Catholic, and then Henry VIII, it became Anglican, and the Methodists broke off from the Anglicans. And here I had done this one for my Methodist grandfather, and I thought, okay, now I have to do one for my ancestor, Thomas Savage. 
Until then, you had no idea you were related to him. I had no idea. Turned to Mulvaney and Rogers again, and I I said, we really want to do, you know, the Savage Manor. The actual house had been torn down in 1876, but they knew the design because the gatehouse was still there. They were able to take the, the design of the house and recreate. We went to seven different houses in England in that area, seven different beautiful big manor houses, and we did a compilation of all of those to get the inside. It's a tribute to him because we have a beautiful chest in the great room, which has Thomas Savage's robe and his mitre and his shoes from when he was an archbishop, delicately tucked into this trunk with, you know, with linen around it to preserve it. What a special touch. Yes, it is. It truly is. So I feel so excited when I can share that story with people. Well, that's a wonderful story. And it it also makes me realize you don't just commission these works. I mean, you went around to these houses. You really do a lot of research and put a lot of yourself in it. I do. In everything I do, when I pull a vignette together, or if I'm doing a room box or furnishing a house, it's always done with my childhood memories in mind, whether it's something I did or something I wanted to do and didn't get to do or something that I would like to have, but obviously are not going to have. And, you know, that's the beauty of miniatures is that, you know, I have all different styles of architecture, you know, in my structures, and I can live in all of them. I don't have to go out and build a a big house. I just shrink myself and move in. I think we all love that about miniatures. But that also brings me to uh, things you maybe couldn't have in, in real life in real size. Let's talk about the jewelry store. Oh, 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 that's a fun one. One of our favorite places to go is to London. And I walk down Old Bond Street every time I'm there just to drool over. I I drool over all of these beautiful things that are antiques and estate pieces. And I came up on this Georgian jewelry store. The gems were unbelievable. I mean, they were just so out of range. And I'm thinking, you know, I can't afford that 12 karat diamond. Right. I mean, they were pieces fit for a queen. Absolutely. And I don't know if if you watched Downton Abbey. Yes, I love Downton Abbey. I love that period. I love the dressing, the jewelry they wore. And so I contacted Ann Potts, who is a fabulous jewelry maker. So I asked her, I said, Ann, I really would like to commission this jewelry store that Mulvaney and Rogers have made. And I said, if you could collaborate with them, which they did. She made the tiny little jewelry. Yeah, but I said, Lorianne, I don't want imitation jewelry. And so she got real gems for me and made all of the jewelry out of real gems. Now, I promise not to ask you your favorite miniature because that would be like asking you which your children you love best. <laughs> but, but do you have a favorite piece of jewelry in there? I do. It is a ruby and diamond cross. Wow. With, with an 18 karat gold chain. And then there's another diamond in there. It's a diamond engagement ring. And it I don't know how many carats it would be, but it has 56 facets cut into it. I remember that. I was pressing my nose up against the window to get every little peek at it. 
I know the the seed pearls are also really special in there. I, that's another one of my favorite necklaces. And it's really fun at Christmas time. We decorate it because Lou and I, when we first got married, owned a women's clothing store and the manager would always make homemade eggnog. And so at Christmas time, I have to decorate it with a table with eggnog. And Oh, yes. Yeah, it's so wonderful. You actually decorate quite a few of the pieces for Christmas, right? We do. We decorate the major pieces. I like to put touches on the vignette shelves. I'll, I'll add a touch of Christmas, especially in the fine arts rotunda. I'll put something s- small, you know, in there just to give it the Christmas look. And then the houses, we will put Christmas trees and wreaths. And in one of the room boxes, we have a fabulous uh, village. Now, when will you have the museum decorated for Christmas this year? It will be ready by the 20th of October. We try to to start early so that people get a chance to come for Thanksgiving. And then we leave it in until the 20th of January. So it gives gives people a pretty good long time to be able to get there to see it. It does. And I read that in the Spencer house, there's kind of a teal aquamarine decorated tree in the painted room. Yes, Oh, that sounds fabulous. Joe Bevilacqua is a master of trees and also Lois Bigley. And those are are the main artisans that I feature. Also, Maria Bevel is a new one on the scene. And we try to put as many Christmas trees in and the majority of them are lit. It's all about atmosphere. When I create, I have to have that incandescent light. I have to feel the warmth of the room. Unlit Christmas trees, they're not as sparkly. To me, when you think of Christmas, it's a lit up tree that springs to mind. It's the sparkle, the smells. And all of the baking and all of the Christmas packages. And it's just, it's so much fun to put together. You also get out a gingerbread cottage for Christmas, right? One of my miniature curators, Teresa Lehman, she does beautiful work in miniature and she does structures. She also uh, built the Hobbit House, which is in the children's section. My husband's favorite. (laughs) Yes, the gingerbread house is really special. If you look upstairs, it looks like the Goldilocks and the three bears because there are three beds for the three little elves that live there. And then downstairs, just filled with baking. And then we've got three little kitty cats. We've got ginger, nutmeg, and allspice. Oh, that's adorable. This year, because we had the Scale to Perfection Encore, we will be also decorating that. It's in now, but I'll have to open up the cases to put the Christmas things in them. Yes. Yeah, so tell us about that. Right now, you have a special exhibition that, that shows a lot of your latest acquisitions from the last few years, correct? When we finished the permanent gallery, Bill Robertson, who was the di- designer, said to me, now you're not going to collect any more miniatures, are you? Oh, <laughs> did he know you? You can't ask a miniaturist that. And I said, no, I probably won't collect all that much. I, you know, I'll probably do pieces here and there. Well, lo and behold, I mean, I immediately started collecting. And Of course you did. We've taken the changing exhibit room. I put this particular exhibit out once every third year for nine months. One of the things that we like to do at the museum is to keep the exhibits rotating so that they're fresh, you know, when people come in. Right now, the Scale to Perfection Encore will be on exhibit until December 31st. That'll be the last day, which is Friday, obviously, before New Year's. And listeners, I'm coming. I hope you are, too. (laughs) 
when my husband brought me in March, we just missed the start of it. It was going to start, I think, a few weeks later. And I said, you know what that means. We have to come back. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I heard that Catherine's Palace is going to be on exhibit. Yes. Tell us about that. It just looks fabulous. Thank you. Carol Kay graciously donated the Catherine Palace to the museum. She actually had it in her own home. It never was in her, her museum out in California. It was for her own personal pleasure. Wow. And so she wanted to donate it to the museum. By Catherine's Palace, it's Catherine the Great, correct? It's Catherine the Great. And it was uh, in, from St. Petersburg, Russia. And it was the Winter Palace. So Robert Dawson from England is the one that Carol commissioned to do it. And over the 10 or 12 years that she had it, there had not been a lot of attention paid to the lighting and everything. So we had to completely rewire it. We had to redo a lot of the inside just, you know, to perk it up and make it presentable. There were only a few pieces of furniture that came with it. I had collected some things that I was thinking, where in the world am I ever going to use these? Well, they found a home immediately. I mean, it was it was absolutely perfect. And then I commissioned Frank Crescente to make a chandelier. But when it arrived, we didn't gauge the measurement oh, as well no. as we should. And so I said, Frank, this one isn't going to work. We're going to have to do another one. So the next one that he made, it was a beautiful Russian cobalt blue and crystal. It, Oh, I love that. I love the idea that you have just miniature furniture sitting around grand enough to be in Catherine's Palace. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) One of the fun things about that, we were on um, the Travel Channel a couple of years ago. They were doing a segment on the Amber Room in the real Catherine Palace, which was stolen during World War II. And because it was mysteries at the museum, and it was like, what happened to the Amber Room? And I I don't think they still know what happened to it, but it was recreated by Robert Dawson. And so that is a highlight. Did he use real amber? No, he used faux finishing to get the amber look, but the way he finished it and the glaze he put on it, it looks like the real stone. It's absolutely amazing. Then we decorated, I've got actually two different settings for the dining room table because when it's out and it's not Christmas, it has a a beautiful arrangement of peonies on the the dining room table. And then for Christmas, it has a beautiful Jack Cashmere compote with beautiful flowers by Carol Wagner. So, Oh, well, you know they would have done that at the palace. (laughs) Well, of course they would have. I mean, they wouldn't just have one set of china. (laughs) It's interesting because the Sevra greenware pattern is the pattern that is on the real table in Russia. And so I had Mayuki Nagashima, I had her make that greenware. It's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous with all the serving pieces. That's great. Well, that just sounds like, you know, one of the highlights of the Encore presentation. Are there some other special pieces in there you want to talk about? I talked about the Pam Troop Fleece Inn pub that's in the permanent gallery, but I have four other houses by her in the Encore uh, exhibit. Well, all four of them are special, but two are special. The Davidson Apothecary that's in Williamsburg, Virginia. And then it is, it's interesting the way I put that one together because reading up on apothecaries, the gentleman who was the apothecary was also the midwife. He was the surgeon. He was the dentist. He was, was going to say definitely the dentist. Yeah, definitely the dentist. 
but he had his apothecary shop in the front where he sold medicinal herbs and, and oils and things like that. But he also had a little tavern with the tea room and beer or whiskey. So it's a fabulous house. And then he lives upstairs. I think I would enjoy going to the doctor's more if there's a tavern <laughs> in the back. <laughs> I think they should bring that back. <laughs> Have a beer while you wait. Well, you know, I hadn't thought about that. And I would imagine for those people who had to go under the saw that the whiskey would have been vital. And then the other one is just a really special structure. It is Paul Revere's house in Boston. Oh, I lived in Boston. Did you? Did you go see Paul Revere's house? Yes, I, I have seen the house. So that house, he and his wife had 13 children in that house. And so we have one large bedroom with several different types of beds in them. And then we have another separate bedroom. The kitchen dining area also acts as a showroom for all of the sterling silver, the Revere bowls, and all of the brass and copper pieces that he made. And the dining room table is set for eight with full sterling silver service, including the placemats. Including the placemats? Including the placemats. Ooh, I'd never even heard of sterling silver placemats. The other room that's below the smaller bedroom, I created the foundry where he made his silver so that people can see the tools that he used. I even have bars of sterling silver and the pot that they were melted in. So then another great piece that's in the Encore. Oh, there are a lot of great pieces in there. But one of my favorite ones is the one done by Michael Yurkovic. And it is when I soloed in a J3 airplane when I was 18 years old. Wow. It's so fun. It's just so fun. Was that pretty unusual for a woman to fly at that point? It was. And my brother was a jet pilot in the Navy and my dad was a flight surgeon in the Navy. And so dad said to my brother, he said, take her up and see if she likes to fly. And if she likes it, then we'll do the flying lessons there at the airport. Well, I did. And I did. It was really a lot of fun. It's certainly a different perspective being up in, in the air. Yes. Well, you've really led a very adventurous life. You've been all over the world, right? Looking for miniatures and researching and collaborating. So I have a friend, Mary Olin, from Blue Mountain Miniatures, and she's obsessed with functional miniatures. And uh, I know you have the little Swiss Army knife, a pinball machine that works. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the pinball machine? Well, the pinball machine... It obviously plugs in. It's it's electric. It's it's just a fun thing that I put out, especially at Christmas time, for the bright lights. Right. So then we have also said the Swiss Army knife, which is barely a half an inch long. It has eleven utensils on it that all work. The scissors work. There's even the toothpick that slides into the, the handle. I remember it. You have it all spread out and you have to really, it's displayed well, but you still have to get pretty close to it. And then I have functional furniture, which in the fine arts rotunda, I have Michael Walton's rent table. It's really interesting the way it works there. The center, very center of it, it pops up about an inch and you would turn the top to the drawer of the person whose last name started with that initial. Okay. You would put the rent money in the hole and it would fall into that drawer. Oh. Then at night, they would push the middle down and lock it so it looked just like a regular table. Oh, that's amazing. 
And then I have a Davenport desk that has secret drawers in it. You can, you know, store your jewelry or your... Itsy bitsy tiny secret drawers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you need to hide something itsy bitsy in one of them. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. I really admire, you know, people who can make those little tools and those functional miniatures. They're just really incredible. Yeah. Speaking of tools, the gentleman that designed the gallery is also a fabulous miniature maker. And I'm sure your viewers will recognize the name Bill Robertson. Yes. He also makes working tools. I have been very blessed to get many of his pieces. And one of the major pieces is his architectural drafting set. It is so tiny. It's it's barely an inch and a quarter wide, and it has 40 working tools in it. Like a little protractor or a little compass? or Yes, everything works. I also have his eighth-inch scale. It's an 18th-century machinist toolbox and the drafting table. The drafting table is actually 112th scale. I only have this one piece in the gallery that's one-eighth scale. Everything else is 112th or derivatives of that. So he must really have to study, you know, what those tools were like historically, too. He collects tools in real real life, and so he's got them going back to 1600s, and he makes those in miniature. Neat thing about miniatures is it also kind of keeps some of these historical building methods and architecture and everything alive. Because as you recreate these buildings, you can't recreate them with modern techniques. That's exactly right. And that's one of the things about the collection is that everything in there is made with the original techniques, whether it's a mortar tenon joint or a peg joint or dovetail. You know, it's made out of the original materials and everything works. I don't have it unless it works. It has to be so perfect in detail that I could have blown it up and used it in my own home. That's amazing. People don't realize that it, in order to keep the gallery looking really fit, everything has to be cleaned and all the sterling silver has to be polished and the light bulbs all have to be changed. Oh my gosh. It's a never ending cycle. So how do you clean itty bitty silverware? (laughs) I use a dip, but I learned the hard way. Oh no. You cannot leave it in the dip. If I were cleaning a real piece of silver, I would probably put it in there and walk away or, you know, whatever. But When you're cleaning silver, sterling silver in miniature, I use a a tweezer and I dip it down into the silver for one second and bring it out and immediately wash it. What happened when you didn't do that? When I didn't do that, it turns very dull. Oh. It takes all the shine off of it. There's no handbook for how to clean everything miniature, right? (laughs) That's exactly right. And if it is not to your desired brightness, then you can dip it again. But just don't overdo it. So you have to change all those little light bulbs. Yes. How do you clean like the carpets? I actually have a little miniature rug beater that... Well, I was going to ask, but then that <laughs> sounded ridiculous. <laughs> I was going to say, do you have a mini vacuum cleaner? <laughs> I have a miniature vacuum cleaner that runs off of batteries. How big is it? The base of it is about six inches and then there's a wand that comes off of it and it has a little vacuum brush and a hole in it where it sucks, you know, it sucks the dust up. Wow. Now, are some of these little tiny pieces, you know, little chest pieces or whatever, are they tacked down with museum putty or do you have to kind of lift each one off and put them back down? 
everything in the gallery, with the exception of two room boxes, everything is loose. Really? I mean, there's great things about them being loose, but then every time you move it, you have to be so careful that you don't knock something else down. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten my little fingers or tweezers in it, and I get one little jar right, and then there goes another little (laughs) jar. That's exactly right. It's very, it's very tedious, painstaking, but it's worth it because to me, I know it's like a real house. So before you had the museum, where did you house your collection? I only had five major pieces and those were at the house. When Spencer House was shipped over from England and came to my house, I moved all the furniture out of my husband's favorite room to put it in. And the only thing that was left was a sofa. And he finally, he said, this has got to stop. We are going to have to find a place to put this. And of course, his whole family had been involved with the museum since the 1800s. He was on the board, but he said, let's talk to the board and see if they want to change the mission statement, because that, you know, it had to be everything for Mason County. So they changed the mission statement to accommodate us. And we built a 3,300 square foot gallery. So we all get to enjoy this because Lewis wanted his room back. Exactly. (laughs) Got his room back and he is very happy. I'm like, I think that's what what you're saying, right? (laughs) You just got to work it. You got to (laughs) work. That's amazing. And you said that, you know, you don't travel as much anymore, but that you love going to the museum to revisit all those places. That's the beauty of it. It's an educational tool. And I love it when people come into the museum and they can actually see how those miniatures were used way back when, you know, starting in the 1400s. You know, you could see what utensils were used and how they were used. And I think it's because we have a museum that is geared toward education, that's what I geared the collection toward. And, you know, we talked about what I had in my house. And when we decided to do the museum, That was really when the collecting started, because if I'm going to do a museum, I have to have something for everybody. And so I started branching out and I started thinking, well, I don't have this or I don't have that. So that was when I commissioned the Manhattan Penthouse, which is in the Encore exhibit. I dreamed about, you know, if I lived in New York, what would be my dream house? And I'm thinking a penthouse on the top floor of a, of a building where you can see the top of the Empire State Building or the World Trade Center or whatever, and all of the lights, all the lights. So the Manhattan penthouse is an absolute dream of what I wanted. And my son was living there. He had his office in Manhattan across from the World Trade Center. So it was very appropriate that we did a background with the World Trade Center The outdoor scene is at night, so you see New York, and it's all glass on one side. So what style did you do it in? It's a two-story contemporary penthouse. Oh, wow. The living room is two stories tall, and then you have the loft upstairs on the second floor, the open air into the living room. The living room is phenomenal because it's it's two stories tall. And the main wall, it's a solid wall that goes all the way up to the ceiling. And it's filled with cubby holes that have John Almeida's pottery in them. And the wall is orange. It's a burnt orange, which is my favorite color. And all of the decor in that room is 
sort of orange and teal. Those are my two favorite colors, orange and teal. Oh, it's glorious. And then I have it set up in the kitchen, you know, where we're we're getting ready to entertain. And my, my husband's favorite oysters on the half shell. One of the unique things about the penthouse is, are the people in it? Oh, you have people. Well, I have people in it. Lou and I are actually standing there, 3D. Oh, my goodness. I need to think of their names. Anyway, they came to the museum when we had a, a gala, and they did the 3D cameras where you stood in the middle, and I think there were 298 cameras or something. And then she made Lou and myself in 112 scale. And I'm in my orange top and my teal and orange bottoms. That's amazing. It's just so perfect. And Lou and I are looking at each other. It is just the sweetest. It's so sweet. Wow. So you have a doll in the museum and then a a 112 scale of you. Yeah. Well, I guess when you're going to pose for that, you really want to make sure you like what you're wearing, right? (laughs) Because it's immortalized forever. That's exactly right. I have said before, I can't pick a favorite because I love everything in there so much. I pick what I love and everything just happens to go together. It's it's amazing. It's amazing how that works, doesn't it? When I first started adding some pieces to what I had built and what I had already had, I'd be like, well, where is this going to go? Where is that going to go? But I actually find I do better when I just buy what I love and the colors I love, and then it all goes everywhere. It does. I started collecting 45 years ago. And I have found that there are pieces that I've had that I'm thinking, oh, I'll just put those in a sale box. They don't really touch me the way they should or whatever. And 35 years later, I mean, when I'm putting the scale to professional exhibit together and I go and I look in that box and I'm going, oh my goodness, that brass spittoon is going to go in the, I can't give that away now. I've got a perfect spot for it. And it it goes, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the exciting thing is that Every piece that I've got that gets held back ends up in its perfect home. You just have to wait for that proper moment. Exactly. You talk about traveling. I could not get this idea out of my mind that I still wanted to do a wildlife refuge, but without a structure in it, without a house. So my daughter, Carrie, who's the artist, she said, Mom, I can make that for you. I can do that. So she created the box and she painted it, and it has Mount Kilimanjaro in the background. And then Carrie Pajuti made all of the animals. She made the elephants, the giraffe. She made the lion cub. And then Beth Freeman Kane made African birds. Some of the birds actually sit on the, the animals. It's what they do. Liz McGinnis made the absolute favorite scene. This is what it was all based on. When Lou and I were in the Land Rover going around And we pulled up not 10 feet away from a male lion who was lying underneath a broken tree trunk. And the female lion was standing on top of the broken tree trunk. And when we drove up and stopped, that male lion opened his mouth. I have never heard such a sound come from the depths of a soul of a lion in my life. It was enormous. It was an enormous roar. And so when I came home, I contacted Liz McGinnis and I said, I... I really want to recreate this scene. And Lou had taken a photograph. So, you know, she had the photograph to work with. When it came to me, it was absolute perfection. And so I said, okay, this is what we're going to build the wildlife refuge around. So I can't wait for you to see it. What an incredible moment. Oh, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait. 
It has been just such a thrill talking to you, and I hope everyone comes and makes their way to Kentucky and goes to the museum. You won't regret it. And thank you for sharing your talent and your passion with us. Oh, you are so welcome. I'm so happy to share. I can't wait for everybody to come. We are going to start holding classes at the museum, too. For people who like to make things, uh, we'll have artisans coming in. You heard that scoop here, listeners. And we'll put up some pictures of all the things we're talking about so people can ooh and ah. Just thank you so much for sharing your heart with us because I think that's what the museum really is. And I thank you for sharing your passion with me. I used to joke I was going to start a Miniatures Anonymous group. (laughs) You know, if you ever do, I've I've got some names for you. (laughs) Pretty much everyone listening, I think. This has just been delightful. For me too. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. Talking to Kay Savage Browning about her world-famous collection of fine arts miniatures is something I'll always remember and treasure. I really hope you go to Kentucky and check out the museum. My next episode comes out Tuesday, October 5th. I will be talking to the fabulous Gina, who you can find on Instagram at Calico Gardens. She's been a belly dancer, an auction house owner, a talented miniaturist, and the host of a TV show. You'll definitely want to tune in for this one. In the meantime, remember, there are no rules in your dollhouse except for the ones you create for yourself. Bye.